A brief note before we begin today's podcast. We had some technical difficulties at the end that caused us to lose the last seven or eight minutes of our show. Uh, We apologize for that. So you'll notice that the conversation ends rather abruptly. Uh, We're still at the beginning of this, and so we're still making some mistakes. But uh, we appreciate everyone's patience and everyone who tunes in. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the discussion. Good afternoon, good evening, or good morning, whenever you happen to be listening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. Uh, Today, I'm talking to Stephen Fullwood. Stephen, how are you? I'm very well. How are you doing, Travis? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. I'm excited about today's topic. Uh, Stephen uh, suggested today's topic, which was uh, discussing uh, David Lynch's film Mulholland Drive, which I hadn't seen previously, but hadn't seen in a long time. Uh, And I was cursing him before I sat down to to start the show because I (laughs) I don't know what I have to say about the wackiness that is that film, which I just rewatched. So, but I'm I'm still looking forward to the conversation. So, Stephen, I am going to leave you to lead us in and I'm just going to kind of follow along. Sure, absolutely. So, um, Mulholland Drive is... It's just an amazing feat of filmmaking. It is uh, Lynch's, I believe, 11th, 10th film, 10th feature film. And I think with each film, he gets more thoughtful and engaged and more interested in editing and thinking about how the conscious and subconscious works together. Mm -hmm. And so watching his films... I'm all, I'm always intrigued, always intrigued, and I have to watch them several times. And so I watched Mulholland Drive. It was, I think it came out in 2001, and I saw it on video in 2007. And mm-hmm. I remember going, see, I don't have to be so told. You, you saw it the first time in 2007, or you watched it in the theater? In, in 2007. 2007. Okay, all right. So it had been several years. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so it was actually uh, um, online. And I remember, I don't care <laughs> um, to know where I'm going in a film. In fact, okay. I prefer to be led down dark hallways and into closets or wherever it is or a town that I've never that I'm not aware of, because with filmmakers, I want to trust them. I want to give do my work as a viewer. So I don't want the filmmaker to tell me exactly where he or she is at all times. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things I love about Lynch's films. He gives you enough visual clues, I think, through repeated watching to find out where he's going or where mm-hmm. he'd like for you to go. But mm-hmm. like a lot of other, or not a lot of other filmmakers, some other filmmakers, he refuses to sum up his films and say, this means this and this means this, because he actually respects you as a viewer to go in and do your own imaginative work. So mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite things about Lynch's films. And the reason why I wanted to talk about the film is because I'm entering filmmaking and I've started to look at his films differently from a craft's point of view. Sure. So not just narrative and not just if they're terrifying or scary or what have you. So mm, over the last, yeah, I'd say over the last decade though, I've been watching his films and sitting with them and writing about them and thinking about the, how to use sound in a very subtle way. Like mm. his films are very unsettling. <laughs> yeah. The, and sometimes the, yeah, mm-hmm. the scene, the, the, the one, the scene that illustrates what you're talking one of the things that jumped to mind is the, in the, the donut shop or whatever it's the diner or oh, yeah. whatever winkies uh, winkies yeah. <laughs> the winkies thank you i, I mean so you know the 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 spookiness of those scenes when they are spooky is largely carried by 
the sound. Uh, I mean, oh, yeah. and, and phenomenal acting, of course, but but there's definitely, mm-hmm. you know, it's just the, kind of the <laughs> the creepy undercurrent, the long sort of discordant mm-hmm. notes. Um, but yes, yeah, absolutely. Ahead. Oh, no, perfect. I, I, that's a really good example. That was the first scene, and it's one of the first first scenes um, that you get where you get Dan and Herb and Dan is the guy who has the dream mm-hmm. and he's really he, he comes to that particular diner so that I think he can discover if it's a dream or not mm-hmm. and I think that that's a cue for the that's also a cue for the viewer and so as he's walking you notice the camera goes before him which is one of the Lynchian things that Lynch loves to do mm-hmm. the camera goes before that person um, and it's, it's like slowed down shooter yeah and so like a first person shooter like video games like a first person shooter sort of like you're in immersive right and you're you're part of this journey you want to see if this dream is true or not and Mm -hmm. i remember when that i hesitate to say man but every review and everybody says oh and there's this man even dan the character says there's this man that comes out but it's actually a woman yeah i and it's so funny you said that because i i read some uh, stuff to refamiliarize myself with it before I'd rewatched it, um, mm-hmm. and you know they're, they're pulling out the dialogue and the discussion and and right. manage. I, is she so clearly a woman? I mean, when you see her, I mean, I, I at least to me, I mean, it's so it's clearly a woman. But I think that's I think that's there to also kind of mess with this actually, sure. yeah. Because when the when the figure of her, you know, was the bum or the um, the trans person comes out. Um, transient person, excuse me, comes out there. There's that, and there's a sound that sounds like he's being doused and pushed underwater. Mm-hmm. And that's when Dan faints. And the sound is like you're right. The sound carried that scene so well for me. I didn't even know what it was about. It was like, why is this here? What is this movie about? And so it intrigued me. It got me in. It moved me mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. But late, and so we'll talk a little bit later on about the key and the blue box and. Other sure. kind of yeah. things, and so what I um what I want to say about films um some of some of Lynch's films always deal with a number of things, and they always deal with desire, death, uh, disappointment, <laughs> and dreams, and so they're all kind of intertwined. And this mm-hmm. film has all of those elements and more. Um, so what I wanted to ask you before I go on is, how did you see the film? Did you when you said it was a wacky film, but what were your what do you think Lynch was trying to do with um, this this particular film? Can I, I just don't know so what to what say was to you try- about it? But yeah. So I mean, I I, I probably wouldn't want to go uh, in the direction of like ascribing motive or intent. Uh, okay. Uh, mostly because uh, I would I'd want to know more about kind of the arc of Lynch's career in the context mm-hmm. of discussing the film. That doesn't mean I don't, I don't have something to say about it, but um, I think, you know, w- w- as critics, um, not just movie critics, but critical readers, uh, you know, uh, the habit can sometimes be to dehistoricize kind of the 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 engagements and the arc of, of what someone's career is about um, and not okay. just sort of overanalyzing a single piece, not that the single piece can't stand on its own, you know, kind of like the new critic sort of new critical uh, perspective. So I, I don't mm-hmm. want to go too, I wouldn't go too far into that, but I would say some of the things, some of the impressions that I was left with again, uh, watching the film is how little a movie needs a narrative structure to still be a coherent piece of work. Um, wow, okay. And, 
and it threw me back to uh, you know film theory is definitely not uh, an area that I've read very deeply but you know I've, I've read pieces here and there and the person made me think of was Andre Brazan and you know his discussion mm-hmm. of um, that movies really aren't about telling stories that they're actually much better um, formats for telling stories um, you know a man mm-hmm. uh, the man walked by the restaurant every day for 10 years, the same restaurant every day for 10 years. I can just put that in a single sentence, but representing that in film is is quite challenging. So a film doesn't necessarily yes. have to, it can, right? It doesn't have to tell yes. a story though. It, it, it tends to particularize what might otherwise be a universal theme. And so yes. one of the things that Lynch does to universalize, I, I, if I'm, if I'm uh, making that suggestion about the film, is by de-particularizing everything, including people's identities. Um, yes. You know, sort of yes. th- there's really nothing to finger or pinpoint. I mean, I guess the blue box a little bit, kind of, sort of. Kind um, of. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, we can get we can talk about other particular things about the film, but that that was kind of the the main uh, takeaway that I had from the film overall is that it holds together as an eminently watchable, compelling, interesting, frightening, funny, uh, titillating, uh, seductive piece of art. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. That doesn't at all tell a coherent story. Um, no, not and, at all. and it and it works just fine without that. So anyway, and 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 you've touched on something I really enjoy about filmmakers. As I mentioned before, I don't need to know where I'm going. I don't mm. care if you mess with the narrative structure. I don't care if the characters are are you know you can't hold them. You know they they are a bit shifty and are a bit um, complicated. So I don't need I don't mm. need a a villain or a good guy or a good woman. I want to just know what this film is trying to. Um, how it how it expands within my consciousness mm-hmm. and i don't mind if it happens over um like i said years because when i go to see a film and i think one of the things we mentioned earlier about the sound is how quiet this film can be at times even oh, with yeah. music it can just be quiet mm-hmm. you know yeah and right now you know you put you know com- by comparison listening to films right now in theaters are so loud they're so you know <laughs> And that bothers me. It's like I'm 52. It's, yeah, it's our, it's oral assault. I mean, just it yeah. is definitely an assault, and it's cheap. It's cheap, yeah, and so jump sure. scares and that kind of thing. Like I felt like the scene at the Winkies Diner by the dumpster wasn't a wasn't a jump scare. It was leading up to. So you're walking along and you're like, well, what's going to happen? And then this person just comes out. And then just disappears. <laughs> it's, it's definitely not a jump scare because you are literally told what's going to happen, and Absolutely. it's still frightening. Like it's yes. st- you and still know, like you know, like he tell he talks you through the entire sequence exactly yes. what's going to happen, and yet yes. it's still alarming, um, and, which is actually really interesting. And, yeah, and I think that's so. I've read, I've seen a few of his other films, and they have some of those elements to them where. You, as a viewer, you have more responsibility, I think, at a Lynch film, at, you know, being at a Lynch film, maybe the later post post um, Dune, <laughs> so to speak. Um, and even Eraserhead, some of the earlier films were um, hmm. were discombobulating for a lot of viewers. I think that what I love about the soundscape and the, and the how the and the film billows out is that the char- I've mentioned earlier, the characters are not who they seem. 
but you don't know that until you know you're into the film but by that time you are captive you know you're captivated you're trying to figure out well what does this mean the film starts off with that sequence where um there is there there's a jitterbug contest mm-hmm. and the people are going in and out of figures so they're they're dancing and then there's a sort of a cut, cutouts of them dancing mm-hmm. And so it doesn't stay with the figure. Almost and like I remember, it's like, bad wondering, green screen or something like that. Right, yeah. which is what I thought it was years ago. I was like, what is this? You know, I'm not sure what this is. And then she shows up and she's literally a beacon of light and she's smiling. And then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. these two characters could be her. I've heard people describe them as her parents or grandparents. Um, and they're smiling. So I'm like, oh, okay, you know. And he, the the um, the storyline or the um, the narrative, it jumps from one scene to another with with seemingly no connection but then i think it does come together after you watch it a couple of times um and so i wanted to mention something about the characters about um such the stars of the film <laughs> such they yeah, are yeah. well the actresses and the actors as well so the, sure um, sure yeah so you have naomi watts playing the lead character and naomi is looking what is naomi naomi is um she plays two parts so she's playing she's betty and diane time. i think Yes, Betty and Diane. Yeah. Then um, Laura Herring is both Camilla and Rita. Mm-hmm. Well, she's Rita, then she's Camilla. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of doubling up mm-hmm. of people. But I think, obviously, we're well, not obviously, but it feels like even when I watched it the first time that it was Betty's movie and everyone was kind of around it, but I didn't know how they were around it. Mm-hmm. So when Betty gets to Hollywood and she's coming from Canada, there's a scene just outside of the airport where she's talking to her parents or grandparents. These people that she traveled with that aren't related to her, but are sort of like could possibly be seen as um, paternal figures to her in some ways. She's talking and the voice is just a bit off. And I remember thinking is, oh, this must be a problem with the audio. <laughs> but it's not a problem with the audio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's a sunny day out. She gets to her aunt's house and everything is just wonderful and she's just full of light. And then this mysterious character, uh, Laura Herring's character, Rita, who takes her name from a Rita Hayworth <laughs> um, Hollywood poster, and she comes in and everything starts to become like this mystery. But there's no, there are no stakes here. I've noticed throughout their little adventure, there are no stakes. They, they find a dead body. <laughs> you know, um, everything is going uh, Betty Diane's way, mm-hmm. essentially. I wanted to know when you were watching Diane and she's she's trying to figure out who Rita is. What were you thinking? What were what was your feeling? Do you remember what you felt the first time when you saw the film and what you know, what were you thinking as you were being pulled along here? Uh, I mean, I think so. I I do have vague uh, impressions of uh, watching it when it was in the theater uh of you know just like what the hell is going on uh, probably <laughs> some, something you know looking for uh looking probably for some kind of narrative hooks to grab onto and it's not mm-hmm. that they aren't there i mean there are narrative hooks in the film for sure but mm-hmm. um this most recent uh time um i think i was um it's hard for me to say I, I didn't have much of an emo. I wasn't pulled in emotionally as much the second time because mm-hmm. I was watching the film with the with the idea that I knew I would have to talk about it. And so I was constantly okay. Okay. sort of interrogating what was happening and kind of backing up like, okay, well, you know, so th- I was having a, a dialogue mm-hmm. with myself the entire time I was watching it. So, um, 
you know, a conscious, a conscious. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know, which right. actually, mm-hmm. not to, not to take the conversation in another direction, but one of the things that it, mm-hmm. it did make me think of as you were talking about what you appreciate about the film and mm-hmm. that Lynch doesn't condescend to the viewer and, and kind of like gives oh, you absolutely. room to, to sort of engage with it. I was thinking, you know, there's probably a pretty solid argument to be made that Lynch and and movies like that um, are um, really don't function outside of a structure that encourages the construction of a bourgeois self. So the mm. fact that the fact that the the, the work itself provokes your and my own sort of self-titillating engagement with it is a way that mm-hmm. that our own identities become sort of uh, developed, right? So we we okay. have our own like what we can bring to the film is is our own unique self, and so the film itself mm-hmm. kind of okay. sets the the stage for an opportunity for me to demonstrate my ability to interpret or my ability to have insight or my ability to appreciate mm-hmm. the strange or the unusual mm-hmm. so but but not to not to critique lynch and, and not to leave it there or critiquing lynch is fine but not to leave it there but mm-hmm. how the film just refuses to give you any purchase on that like it's you <laughs> finally don't get to settle on whatever yes. your sort of neat you know um self-masturbatory idea mm-hmm. of figuring out and unlocking what the entire thing is about so probably confusion if i can try and answer your question more directly probably <laughs> just just straight confusion was something that was going on in those moments no, i remember is... thinking about um when she was pulling out the money you know, when, when yes. she first, in, the, the, she finds mm-hmm. all these wads of cash and stuff like that. I, I started mm-hmm. to let go of, uh, earlier in the film, there are all these shots of the city, right? At the beginning of the film, yes. Los Angeles, mm-hmm. Los Angeles, Los Angeles. Um, and I was thinking, oh, okay, you know, sort of like, you know, maybe we're getting some, you know, maybe the city is the story. And, you know, like, to shift the point mm-hmm. of view. And, like, the, mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. think that's, ac- I don't think that's it, actually. But, uh but yeah, so the, the the money part of it, I was thinking like, oh, here are these, again, straight ahead narrative hooks, right? So like before mm-hmm. you slip away too much, like, no, the, there is there is a concrete mystery here, right? You know, sort of right. yeah, mm-hmm. going to be murdered and the money and all that stuff. So anyway. No, actually, I think what you're saying, and I would argue for a couple of things. One, I think the city is a story and the street which is doubled up with Sunset Boulevard. So you have Mulholland Drive at the mm-hmm, top and you mm-hmm. have Sunset Boulevard there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading something, I didn't know this because I'm not that much of a film buff yet, in that um, the car that was used in Sunset Boulevard, <laughs> Des, uh, um, Des, Desdemona, what's her name? I'm sorry, I got it wrong. Um, she's the woman in Sunset Boulevard who is ready for her close-up, you know, the fading actress. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, old. sure, yeah. It's been a right. Long so her time car, since I've seen that film, just as as just as Betty's getting out of the car, she looks at the gates, you know, for whatever studio she's at, and she notices that 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 car is there. But mm-hmm. she's not. That's that's something for the for the files for the film people who know this. Mm-hmm. That with 
it just kept seeing doubling up, doubling up. So some, we went back to Winkies after a certain point. Um, the characters we thought we knew, we really didn't know because they had different names. Mm-hmm. Um, Sunset Boulevard, they show you the sign. They show Mulholland Drive first. You know, obviously, it's the title of the film. There are a number of other doubling things. There are um, some people are substituting for people in her dreams, you know. Right. Uh, the woman behind the dumpster, they call a man. That To me, that's her. It's the self that's the um the washed on the very rough desire and and what could really happen to you in this town she's this optimistic actress who came um to win mm-hmm. and then she even the even the cinematography works for you because the dreamlike sequences or what i think are the dreamlike sequences are much more colorful and warm and when she's the what they call the third part of the film the film is a lot just the the tone is different the colors are different they're more drab and dry Mm -hmm. and it fits with what with um diane is dealing with you know as a character and so i love the fact that there's a lot in this film that one regular person may not pick up you know they'll just go well where what does this mean what happened here how did it end what is all of that Mm -hmm. but for the person who's interested in film i think that lynch and and filmmakers like him are doing interesting things for the public but are really satisfying their own desire to try to break out new ways of looking at film and what film could do mm-hmm. for you and so i was watching that i think the, um there's a film called waking life and oh link letters a, film right link yeah, letters yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so there's a moment where there's this filmmaker talking about what you can do with film versus a book you know, a book, that's, you have more that's imagined. Bazan. Yeah, that's Andre Bazan. Yeah, the, the holy, right. the idea of the holy. Yeah. Exactly. And that, you know, film, there's a specific person doing a specific thing. And I think I had to rethink that. I was like, no, I think that certain kinds of filmmakers and filmmaking could be very, um, very um, move beyond those borders or move beyond that, that structure that he was talking about. So I think um, it felt like a film based on illusion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the illusions of being happy, the illusions of being successful, the illusions of being a Broadway star, I mean, excuse me, a film star, like everybody's um, thing is being punctured. Everyone's thing, everyone and every character that we are introduced to has been punctured, has been um, disappointed, has been, um, yeah. And so there's something about watching people not win. Mm-hmm even when they look like they're winning <laughs> that um was dis um disorienting for me yeah I, the, one of the the scene uh is towards the end of the film I, one of the I, I maybe the most evocative scene for me is the when they're in the theater um and yeah uh, and club silencio yeah and um okay the the characters in the movie are reduced to audience members right i mean that entire scene is them watching and us watching uh Mm -hmm. the same the same performance and there's a way in which Mm -hmm. certainly that reading of the the disillusionment and the puncturing and everything that that seems right to me uh but Mm -hmm. it's definitely not the whole thing right because what propels the story is the fantasy life is is the dream what is the the possibility mm-hmm. you know what what sets the journey in motion is is this pursuit of uh you know stardom or whatever it may be recognition mm-hmm. success right you know etc you can fill in the blank there um mm-hmm. but 
you know, I I think to to sort of tie that into to you know, brought Linklater Linklater and the the Bazan uh, angle into mm-hmm. it, and I mentioned that earlier. Uh, I mean, I do think that that is a problem with film as a narrative device, not not a problem with film, just as right. film as an art Good form. Point. Uh, mm-hmm. but because of it's yeah, it can do these amazing things, right? Um, I mean, yeah, do, yeah. this project light onto these you know seventy foot screens and like take you into these other places and and mm-hmm. and draw you in and move you in ways that that other forms cannot. Uh, so it's it's not to diminish it, but it does mm-hmm. it does um, typical narrative films don't give you as much room uh, to, as you had brought, said earlier, sort of co-create and Ooh, therefore right. universalize mm-hmm. the story. So film does tend mm-hmm. to particularize. We do, you know, we tend to we mm-hmm. idolize actors, we analyze the people that make the films and stuff like that. And this is another mm-hmm. area where Lynch sort of escapes that, right? He slips out of that in in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he, do, he doesn't let him, he doesn't allow the film to be caught up um in that particularizing and thereby Mm -hmm. makes something um that i i do think draws on some some universalized symbols at least um right oh absolutely no absolutely definitely through color um through our expectations our understanding of the film industry it's a film about a film about a dream <laughs> mm-hmm. about desire um and so there are these layers to it so we do recognize the symbols we recognize well maybe not the metaphors immediately but yeah lynch lynch shows me what's possible as a filmmaker as a budding filmmaker to think about what how to how to bring people in through the camera or through the um sound and what and so there's a scene that I really really love. I love the Winky scene. That's my favorite because that stuck with me over the years until I saw the film most sure, recently. Sure, yeah, me as well. It there's a part in the film where just after the cowboy, the cowboy shows up for a second time, and the sort of like there's this mm-hmm. move from Club Silencio, and you see Diane in the bed, and then he goes, "Wake up, sleeping girl." I mean, wake up, pretty girl. It's, wake up it's time to get up hey pretty girl it's time to wake up mm-hmm. i think that's the line and so for film students i think there's like oh well the rest of the beginning part of it was the dream and now this other part is the reality and even that's a little slippery so there's a moment where laura herring's character um camilla uh, camilla is walking down the stairs <laughs> very mm-hmm. slowly um and so Betty's, uh, Diane's car is um, stopped and she goes, you know, there's the doubling. We don't stop here. And it goes, it's a surprise. And so she's walking down the stairs and she's almost cat-like, feline-like walking down the stairs. And she sticks her head in the car and she goes, it's a shortcut, you know. And they go up to probably those following scenes really are amazing because you get Camilla leading Diane up those stairs very slowly. They're holding hands. It's almost dreamlike. It's almost like a dream. It was the way that it was shot before. By the mm-hmm. time they get to the party, mm-hmm. you know, Camilla is a sadist. <laughs> She's doing all this mm-hmm. stuff in front of Diane, knowing how Diane feels about her, almost to punish her. And I think mm-hmm. I found those scenes to be really 
ter- just really frustrating and painful. And I, I felt for, um, felt for Diane. I felt for um, the character because I wanted her to get some sort of satisfaction after she had been led to believe that she was at least winning again, just for that moment after the breakup. Mm-hmm. She just felt she was winning, you know. Um, and I remember just there are moments that make my stomach feel empty or feel like, you know, makes my stomach hurt, you know, and I I really Mm -hmm. like the way that Lynch played that because he's constantly playing with how you feel in films, Mm -hmm. you know, and then asking, I'm not even sure what he's asking the viewers to do at times, you know, should you identify with this person, not identify with this person Um, by the sec, the third, the third part of the film, I remember thinking, I can't identify with any of them. (laughs) I just know, don't want, this character to feel badly, you know, what is, so right, right. it just made me think, yeah, it just made me think about how a director can within us, within a very short amount of time, make you hope for something to happen to just drop you, you know, in the midst mm-hmm. of a cold light where, you know, you're in love with someone and they've just announced that they're going to marry somebody else and you're visibly upset, you know, visibly. So, right. It was a. I just thought it was act, well acted, yeah. very well acted. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The performances were phenomenal. I mean, one of the things uh, that that allows Lynch or others to, you know, that that uh, that use pastiche and kind of hodgepodge and mashups to mm-hmm. to con to convey um, a motive force is the kind of cultural library they're drawing on, right? So, I mean mm-hmm. the. The number of genres that he mimics and then turns away from in the film yeah. work mm-hmm. in the film because of years and decades of films and oh yeah storytelling devices, yeah, yeah that that have shaped how we expect these stories to go and in some sense how we expect life to go right I mean this is the mm-hmm, this is the mm-hmm. conundrum with that is the, I mean and this is the difficult aspect of of that interplay um, when you want to dismiss mm. something in a film or in mm. literature or as a work of art or a work of philosophy as well. That's, you know, that just exists in the imagination. That's just make-believe. That's just, that's not the real world. Um, yeah. No one actually lives in the real world. No, I mean, there's a famous letter that uh, right. Wallace Stevens sends to, to this uh, reverend that was a friend of the family, the poet Wallace Stevens, early 20th century poet, mm-hmm. uh, for listeners that don't know who that is. Um, and uh, okay. he, uh, he says that, uh, that no one lives in the real world. There is no such thing as living in the <laughs> real world. There's, you, you can't make your way in that world. You have to have mm-hmm. these hooks and stories and arcs mm-hmm. and passageways mm-hmm. that we invent for ourselves because the real world is, uh, is incomprehensible. It's, I mean, maybe in some ways, in, like that movie, is just incomprehensible. I mean, just, you know, yeah. the, it hits you sideways and doesn't stop. No, that's pretty astute, Wallace, <laughs> wherever you are. That's a pretty astute <laughs> observation. I, I completely agree with that um, in so many ways. Um, so we talked a little bit about sound. We talked a little bit about cinematography and some other things. I wanted to draw your attention to the um, the pacing of the film. Like, how did you feel about mm-hmm. the pacing? Um, I'll tell you very briefly. I felt that the film was a lot longer than it actually was because there's a suspense, 
a suspended sensibility, a very deliberate, quiet, a very deliberate um, hand at moving things along. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed this in uh, Stanley Kubrick films and other um, filmmakers where they're with the scene a lot longer. Even in Daughters of the Dust by Julie Dash, there's a scene where the filmmaker A.J. Um, Arthur Jaffa said that they were really interested in whether or not 16 or 32 frames was appropriate for a person of a certain color, of a brown person. So they were thinking mm-hmm. very thoughtfully about how they were going to film, make that film. And I remember thinking, mm-hmm. when films catch me in that sort of, when, when I'm watching a film and it's slow, I used to really be impatient. I wanted an answer. I wanted it to move on. Mm-hmm. I wanted that action. And I've come to appreciate how deliberate or crafted that some filmmakers make. And it happened with me and other Lynch films, such as um, Lost Highway. I really enjoyed Lost Highway, even though there's this frenetic is sensibility Lost, to it. Is Lost, Lost Highway, Highway is the one? Yeah. No, no the, the scene where the he says, like, call... Like call your house right now. I'm there. Yes. And, oh yes. Yeah, Robert yeah. Blake. This, one of the, yeah. yeah. One of the spookiest, most eerie, <laughs> unsettling scenes in any movie. I I I've, I can I can recall. So I saw that recently, um, or I tried to see it anyway at the um, IFC in New York City, and the film. Mm-hmm. It was a part of a David Lynch Film Festival. The film stopped four times. And then finally, huh. people got up and started leaving, and they gave you free tickets for a future um, screening and whatnot. I went home and I bought it, and I watched it, and I remember that scene, but I'd seen that scene before online because they have it on YouTube, and Robert Blake is just spectacular. Like, it's good writing, mm-hmm. and Bill Pullman's, you know, they're trying to, he's trying to figure out this, you know, this Jedi mind trick or whatever the hell <laughs> you'd call it. Mm-hmm. But I remember mm-hmm. thinking... How wonderful, how in the mind, <laughs> like I'm a theater of the mind kind of guy. You don't have to slash a bunch of people up. It doesn't do much for me. I just feel like it's just gross. But if you get in my head, mm-hmm. then I'm great. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. great, but it's a fun place to be when you're thinking about it. I'm at your house right now. Call me, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it just, it just draws the, um, the, um, what do you call it? The brackets in further. It sharpens your sensibilities and i think a lot about when people say you're afraid you notice things more you're noticing this you're noticing that because your attention's been drawn to something that's not as scattered it's not out is out there you know um it's, it's focused the, you know I, yeah it's focused so i do like that about lynch lynch's films and so lost highway also has as i mentioned that um that slow pace but in a different way in a different way um and so yeah, so I wanted to ask you about what you thought about that, and yeah, I thought the movie was slow, and uh, but it worked for me. I mean, it's kind of mm-hmm. a, a a lame summation of it. Uh, it drew me in enough. I mean, I had there were enough. Uh, the actors were uh, engaging enough. The writing was engaging enough. The music was uh, was engaging enough that uh, I became aware of the time, but not in uh, not in a way that that caused me to to want to be doing something else. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the sort of the length of the scene and, um, you know, that's, 
that sort of frenetic cut thing is 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 a contemporary development in in filmmaking. I mean, obviously, if you watch mm-hmm. old movies, they hold scenes for very long times. <sighs> Uh, very long time. for, yes. for 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 yes, really, really mm-hmm. long. Sometimes maybe too long, but um, you know, <laughs> the, uh, you know, it's 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 a generational sensibility. Uh, I mean, there are mm-hmm. trade offs. There are things you obviously there are things you lose with it, uh, but there's also you know those sort of frenetic cutting. Um, allows you to accomplish things in a film that that slower scenes mm-hmm. don't allow you to accomplish. And certainly Lynch's movies, at least the couple we're talking about, um, you know, mm-hmm. I've seen a handful, uh, definitely fit into that slower pacing. Um, mm-hmm. And But they draw you into... I mean, one of the things that we haven't really talked about yet is, um, although I, you sort of touched on this, there is a sense in which to me it feels like lynch knows what he's trying to say you know mm. it's not it's okay. not i don't always feel um you know when you get like say like a, a tv series like lost or something like that which uh okay uh it's it's very clear after a couple of seasons the producers and directors had no clue what they were doing with the show <laughs> and in fact in interviews have admitted that they were not sure what they were doing with the show and mm. but I never I have never felt in a Lynch film that Lynch didn't know what he was doing, even though we don't get even though we may not be fully privy to the internal mm. framework that that the movie hangs on. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't ever I don't ever suspect um, that uh, he's unclear about it. Wow, wow. So what I love about what you said, it links back to something you said earlier about um, narrative structure and the different ways that that could happen. And that um, Mm -hmm. what 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 I what I think about, I, I agree with you. I think that David Lynch knows what he's doing and that there's just a lot of space in what he does for interpretation. Um. Sometimes, like with color, I've noticed in the film, there's pink, there's a lot of red, there's also a lot of blue in Club Silencio. Maybe it's just a way station mm-hmm. between dreaming and some half-wake state. Most of the mm-hmm. film, to me, is, um, if I remember, is shot at night, you know, um, and so or inside. Yeah, I think that, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. You know, and so as you... And then actually the guy, Don or Dan, he's sitting in Winkies and he goes, yeah, the dream sort of occurred in sort of a half night, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like this. And then I'm like, but you look outside and it's, 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 um, it's morning or, you know, presumably morning mm-hmm. breakfast food or on its way to be in the afternoon. There's something about that state that feels dreamy to me, you know, f- for want of a better term. Um, it feels, um, like possibility. That's what Lynch gets for me overall. Like, I just love this idea of possibility. Um, mm-hmm. As I mentioned earlier, and I won't go into too much, is I don't like being led down a road where every, everything is this and that and the other. It's like, you know, you decide. You know, you decide to kind of knit these these people and these ideas together. Um, you know, but that there is... There's a hauntingness I remember feeling when I first saw Twin Peaks when I saw Fire Walk With Me. 
like there was these hauntings that I couldn't put my finger on <laughs> that mm-hmm. Lynch is it's less about being quirky or what is this guy saying or is this backwards? It's just what is it's there's there's just a lot more room to enjoy his films to me than um, some other films, you know, but I think I've completely lost my point. But I remember what you, I was trying to remember what you said earlier and then linking it. But then I went off somewhere else. I'm just, you know. <laughs> that's doing a right, that's talk, right. I guess. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> following the trajectory right. of know, the film. But, yeah. The uh, one of the things I thought of uh, as a kind of off the wall question is: mm-hmm. uh, Can you imagine? You know, you're talking about the. We've both touched on this. You know, sort of like your the door is open for you to enter the film and to co-create, mm-hmm. and you know, all this this sort of. Um, and this idea of of being involved in in that artistic process i'm not i'm not saying that that's not real what i'm saying though is mm-hmm. I, I guess just a more direct question can you imagine so one of the things i want to be careful of when we talk about movies like that or when and i do this as well um you know mm-hmm. undercutting what we might consider sort of more pedestrian or mainstream entertainments, whether Mm -hmm, it be mm -hmm. movie or music or books or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. We have the time and the intellectual space to bring to that, to that film to work out what we think and what we feel about it. I wonder, Mm -hmm. can you imagine like how would Lynch have fared in, um, in a society in which uh, there was far less leisure time, uh, or in an oppressed society, would would so, like would a country like uh, the, in uh, Gilead and The Handmaid's Tale would it be producing David Lynch films? Uh, now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. maybe they would, and in fact, maybe this is a false distinction. I, I don't I don't ask the question assuming the answer, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I I do, you know, like my parents, for example. You know, I don't. I just don't really see them ever getting anything out of a Lynch film. But mm-hmm. is what they get out of some kind of straight-ahead drama or kind of a popcorn flick? Is it analogous mm-hmm. to what you or I might feel in in that moment of of co-exploration as we're being led down the the stairs with the camera? Well, that's a great question. Um, and since I think I know everything, um, I'll just start by saying that. <laughs> I'll say that it is, anal- I, it is analogous because I think in some ways, and I like the way that you frame things, you try to leave a lot of space for other interpretations and thoughts and so forth. And I like that because I think what we just said, or what you said earlier with Wallace Stevens, no one's living in the real world. We all have all these circles and bubbles that intersect with one another where it's family work you know and all that so when i think of say your parents or say my parents i think largely about what people go to do when they say i'm going to go you know to be entertained to do something to be entertained right so if they go to mm-hmm. a film so there's a there's a three of us that i have a number of intersecting circles of friends and mm-hmm. there's a group of that I go with um, to films, Asterot, mm-hmm. and it's artists, <laughs> Stephen, and Rodney. So it's a mashup of our names. And so Rodney loves 
these sort of um, the mainstream films, you know, the you guys Mission have your own acronyms, really? <laughs> yeah, my friend actually cussed me out one day. Said you have your acronym? <laughs> Fuck y'all! You know, <laughs> I just love it. I need to upgrade. Um, so, I need an acronym. Well, as you can see, that was the abrupt end to our conversation. Uh, we had a bit more to say, but uh, we were winding down. So, uh, Stephen Fullwood. Thank you very much uh, for talking to me today. Um, and next week, uh, Seth, uh, Seth will be joining me, and then Stephen will be back the week after that. So they're going to be tag teaming. They're both very busy and have a lot of outside projects. And uh, as you've heard, uh, you know, Stephen is is working through his own projects, uh, film projects, and, um, and uh, a few others. So uh, thanks very much for joining us, and uh, we'll catch up with you next week. 